Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Today on Looking Outside, we are going back in time, sort of, or at least exploring what it means to go back in time into the archives to uncover, investigate, and display artifacts of the past with archivist Mike Fullington. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Joe. It's an honor to be here. I'm so excited about this. And you know, Mike and I were planning on recording this live in the McDonald's archives room, but it didn't quite work out for us. But you do have a giant archives room in the office that's full of uh, fun memorabilia, right? That's exactly right. So that it's located in the headquarters building for McDonald's in the West Loop of Chicago. I like to say it houses the DNA of the McDonald's brand. So we have everything from packaging to Happy Meal toys, correspondence from Ray Kroc, other leaders, commercials, textiles, crew uniforms. So anything that you can think about related to McDonald's, with the exception of the physical restaurant, we probably have it in the archives. Amazing. It's like a history playroom. How much fun is this chat going to be? So, Mike, why don't we start with you introducing yourself to the audience? Great. So I am a native Chicagoan. Um, I have an advanced degree in history. I used to say in graduate school, the past, past is my future, but there's no future in the past. I'm pleased to say that I've proven myself wrong. Prior to my a role at McDonald's. I worked at Kraft Foods and then Rush Medical Center as an archivist, both here in Chicago. My family lives in the northern suburbs. In my free time, I like to run, I like to run far. Um, but yeah, that's that's a bit about me. Yeah, that's interesting. So I have a few questions to start. One is that you like to run, and I'm guessing it's not on a treadmill, it's outdoors. Yeah, I prefer to run outdoors. It, I'm very fortunate where I live. There's trails to run around, so it's just great. And so part of the reason I asked that is that you, I imagine you spend a lot of time in the archives with artifacts, kind of not, not locked away in that room, because I know that you get out quite a lot, but is that a nice way for you to sort of counter, you know, being, being inside of, you know, this room full of relics to kind of getting outside and gaining some more perspective? You know, I never thought of it that way, but I think that is true. Um, you know, as you know, Joe, the archives, there's a big glass wall that everyone mm. can peek in. So sometimes I feel like a goldfish as groups are walking by, but I always make sure that unless I'm super busy to invite them in and share the collections with them. But yeah. no, I, the, the best thing about running is, especially early in the morning when I go, is I get to plan my day. And if I get presentation, rehearse my mind a couple of times. So uh, it's just good headspace. So when I was telling people that I'm going to be interviewing you, they were super, like my friends were super excited. And I said, what questions should I ask? And that was the first one that popped in to their minds is how do you become an archivist? So do you have to have a, like some sort of a history degree? Well, there's three tracks, at least here in the States, that you can use to become an archivist. So there's the advanced degree in history corporations like that, because unlike our colleagues in other archives, we actually do the research where it's very seldom that our clients come down to do the research. More traditional way is uh, Masters of Library Science. And recently, I'd say within the past 15 years, or maybe 20 years, now a lot of uh, institutions are offering advanced degrees in archival management. These are really, the last two are really critical in that because as we continue to manage electronic records and the preservation of digital materials, it's really important because that's what's taught under that curriculum. 
it feels like that is just such a like rich area to escape into is history, not just studying it, but really sort of contextualizing it and how it influences today. Why did you study history? What was your fascination with it? Uh, originally, I was going to become a teacher. I thought I would always teach mm. history, but sitting in some some undergraduate teaching classes and seeing the students who were just separated by a few years than I was from high school, I said, I don't think I can do this. So I had a, an internship at a local history museum, and I uh, processed a World War II war bond drive and then a, a major railroad collection um, employee records. And I just fell in love with it because I was able to to reconstruct these materials to see how they especially the war bond drive, how it was conducted to raise funds for this, for the U.S. government during World War II. It was just, just fascinating. So it's really interesting that you wanted to be a teacher because I feel like that's a lot of what you do now. I mean, like if you actually look up Mike, you can see a lot of videos of him, um, you know, talking about the archives that we have at McDonald's and what they mean and sort of showcasing a few of them. But you do that a lot also with the McDonald's crew, like you said, the, the McDonald's staff crew to kind of like bring them in and not just show them what's happening, but kind of, you know, teach them about, you know, the, the value that it holds and why it's important to keep. So you're sort of doing a little bit of teaching now. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, most archivists or most people's uh, stereotype of archivists is they're introverted. But I think those of us in a corporate role have to be a little more extroverted. And, you know, as I like to tell people, especially at McDonald's, you know, everyone I run into, whether it's here in the U.S. or abroad, um, they all have a McDonald's story. But my job is to to tell them the story of McDonald's. And um, you know, it's just fascinating. I'm able to do that, you know, just with the artifacts and materials. And, and I really enjoy sharing it because, you know, it's in the popular culture here in the States and worldwide. So speaking of stories, I had a question for you. This is a, a little bit unplanned. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't send this one to you beforehand, but you just sparked something else that I had written down, which was, and I'm going to hopefully pronounce this correctly, Herodotus. The first historian, apparently, established in Western history. This is like a little bit of a slash history podcast um, in a way. So he wrote about the histories and an account of the some of the wars that happened during his time. And he, he obviously captured all of the evidence from that time and contextualized it and told the story. But he, So he was called the father of history, but he's also called the father of lies because his historical recollections had a lot of folk tales in them and legends and some of these things that his critics said, well, that's not true. And it kind of sparked a thought in me that actually those things are true because they're the stories that we told around the artifacts and around the events that happened. However, they're captured, whether it's a little bit more creative and imagine, imaginary or whether they're they're more factual, but how important is it to capture all of those stories that are told around the objects that you're observing? It's very critical. So one of the, the benefits, at least when I came into McDonald's in 2005, is that a lot of first generation employees, were, you know, even though they were retired, they were still still around. And so I had availability to speak with them, with the exception of Ray Kroc, who died in the early 1980s. And the same for the, you know, the creators of some of McDonald's iconic products, uh, the Big Mac, uh, the Egg McMuffin. So I got to learn firsthand their stories. Mm-hmm. And it was just just an unbelievable experience. And in addition to that, the archives has a, an extensive oral history collection, which, which predate my time at McDonald's. So I can refer back to those stories. But then I use those stories in conjunction with records to make sure that I'm coming up with the right answer. 
um, because there isn't anything wrong giving the wrong answer, <laughs> especially, you know, for a major corporation, um, you know, our, our, our media teams, our social media teams are putting this out and it has to be right. Yeah, definitely. So then some of those stories that, that you were told are recollections. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's important to do fact checking or do you sort of try to retain the story because it captures the sentiment that motivated the people to create what they created? Uh, I try to keep the story just in their words. You know, it's always better if I can get a story that's, you know, shortly after it happened, right? Because time clouds some some people's memories. But no, I I, I definitely keep the stories because that's what just illuminates the, the records and the, the artifacts. Definitely. So what's your favorite story that you were told? I think my favorite story is the creation of the Dunk Cup. So McDonald's up until the early 1960s didn't serve ketchup with our French fries an operator and the West Coast decided, you know, his customers were asking for ketchup because our competitors had that. And so he came, he designed this little cup and for a couple, had a couple squirts of ketchup from the ketchup gun and sold it for a nickel. And, you know, we still have vestiges in the restaurant today, those white little cups at, uh, at our uh, condiment bar. So it's just a neat little, you know, example of that. Yeah, that's uh, design thinking in action too, is really focusing on a problem to, you know, the existing situation. Indeed. And as, you know, as I've worked at McDonald's, I know we listen to our customers. So again, mm -hmm. this is, we're listening firsthand. So those little cups were referred to then as dunk cups. And I'm not sure if that's referred to them now, but that's how I refer to them. So I think that's quite different to how people would normally imagine an archivist would be, you know, working. You'd, you'd think that it was with these sort of tangible objects and maybe, you know, papers and folders and maybe electronic data files, but less so around some of those intangible things that existed in history. No, no I agree. And I think, you know, there are oral history collections in a lot of institutions, but I think for corporations, they're, they're really important just because, you know, it just, you know, helps illuminate the, the, the records that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the records then. I'm, I'm really, really curious about how you do this. This is like the secret sauce, if I may, behind what you do. So how do you decide when something is valuable, when, when something has enduring value and when it doesn't? So we uh, archivists have the term called appraisal. So we appraise it, you know, in our minds, you know, whether it has a benefit to the organization. I mean, other types of records we have, you know, uh, records retention schedules, a lot of institutions have those who are mandated by our company that we have to keep certain types of records. For example, company minutes, right? We, we have to keep those. Mike can't say that we, they're not going to be in the archives. But then I look at materials that will help share the story of, a, of, say, of a campaign or help illuminate uh, or for an object itself be good exhibit pieces. I have to remember that I can't keep everything. So about 10% of what comes in to me is retained. You know, we've, we'll have uh, photographers shoot for all American basketball games, you know, thousands of images. Why well, can't retain all of each image for, for every game? So we go through those and we praise the images that we want, you know, create selects. So I, again, for exhibit purposes, evidentiary purposes, you know, I really don't have to worry about intrinsic because we don't sell any of our, our materials. What about when you're finding something that's that's older, that you're you're kind of uncovering something from, say, you know, the, the 1970s or something like that? Is it a case of, well, this is more rare and therefore we want to keep all of that? My predecessors did a really good job of keeping early McDonald's materials. So I would just reference whatever I receive, say, from the 1970s 
or like 1971 you know, on the quarter pounder and I'll see what materials that I have that currently exist in the archives. Mm-hmm. And if it's relevant, you know, we'll retain it. If not, it will be, you know, destroyed or given back to the person who gives it to us. Right. Okay. So do you, do you have um, or do you know of some people who are like archivists in their spare time and they have like collections and memorabilia and, and do you talk with those people? So there used to be a McDonald's Collectors Club. So they had some fantastic materials and I was invited to their conventions. I think I went to three of them. And there's just some people that are you know, truly brand fans. And I, I keep in touch with them. One is a former McDonald's operator. You know, there's some other folks and, you know, they're very generous with their time. Yeah, they're, they're just true brand fans. And how about you personally? Do you collect anything outside of work? Well, I do not collect anything McDonald's related. I'd have a conflict of interest, but as I share my tours, I collect the most important thing, at least for me at McDonald's, a paycheck. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I, I used to collect coins and then we started having children. So um, I couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, my wife still wants to divest that and go to Tahiti or something. If I did. Yeah, right. But yeah, I don't really collect too much. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you do enough of that in your in your day job, I'm sure. Indeed. And, and it's... You know, I consider the collection mine, even though it's the corporations. And I, you know, uh, yesterday I had a request from our marketing team for a look for a physical asset, and and uh, for some reason it wasn't in the box that it was supposed to have been in. So I I had to go through a lot of boxes to find it, and it, I just misinterpreted the the label wrong, like a like a stray cat. I had to find that. So uh, I'm, it's very. They're very dear to me. I don't want to lose anything. Yeah, I can imagine you would have had like a little panic attack then. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. I was going to, I would have stayed till midnight to find that oh, uh, good. material. Goodness. So then how do you categorize things? Like how do you keep an order? Do you have an electronic system that helps you to keep track of where everything is? Yeah, we have a, an electronic database system that we use to, to basically inventory control. And then we've recently launched a digital preservation tool that will help us uh, maintain you know, the electronic records, uh, things that have been converted electronically, like old commercials and um, you know, crew training films to you know, electronic media of today. So current media campaigns, we can just pour, you know, put those tools, I'm sorry, those pieces in this tool and uh, emails. Uh, so yeah, it's a great boom. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, even just thinking about the like relics from advertising, and the, the types of ads that we first ran and the point of sale that we first had, it's definitely come a long way. So I just want to shift gears for a second and talk about what's well, not really shifting gears, but shifting companies. Um, so you were an archivist in Kraft? Yes, Kraft Foods. Kraft mm-hmm. Foods, yeah. How was it different to what you do at McDonald's? Well, a couple of things. You know, McDonald's is basically a single branded company since it was founded in 1955. You know, we had some forays into Chipotle and Boston Market and a couple other little little pieces, but basically it's been a you know a single branded company, Kraft Foods, was an amalgamation of many different dairy companies early on and and food companies, General Foods, Nabisco, and, and brands were uh, it was kind of like Monopoly playing Monopoly. Brands were constantly being bought and sold. I remember one time we they divested their confection business and then we acquired Nabisco and all the records on Kraft marshmallows and fudgies, you know, they were required by Nabisco, but when we acquired Nabisco, we've got all those materials back. So they're in the exact same boxes that we sent them out. It's just so much easier, I think, with a single branded company just to keep track of everything. 
you know, people are, are uh, the employees and, and the company folks are loyal to the McDonald's brand. So uh, even though, you know, the folks that may have retired in the 2000s or, or the late 1990s, you know, I can pick up the phone and call them and just ask them if first, you know, advice or to add some context to something that I'm trying to, to develop. So as we say in the company, um, you know, they, they still have the ketchup in their veins. <laughs> yes, they do say that. I have no ketchup in my veins just yet, but, you know, it's, it's getting in there. Uh, it helps when you live in the northern climate here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yes. And so how do you capture that kind of information? And I'm thinking more so like how do you fit all of that in your brain? Because if you're naturally curious about history and all of those stories and the anecdotes, those intangible things that surround an object or a, I guess a point in time, how do you keep all of that in your brain? Um, you know, it's funny. It, I mean, it's just what I do. You know, I'm, con- I'm constantly around it. I'm constantly reminded of it. Again, what, when I spoke earlier, you know, I actually do the research for the requests. So I develop a completely good context around the artifacts and, and other things. And they just stay with me. I mean, it was funny. I, I had the same piece of Kraft Foods, but when I left there, it was kind of a blank tablet, right? But no, I'm constantly reinforced by just doing the research. So like you said, it's a clean slate or do you still kind of like every once in a while, a little craft archive pops into your head? Uh, yeah, there was a, a photograph in the Chicago Tribune of J.L. Kraft, the founder of Kraft Foods, and um, they had a quote there and I, I knew it was the quote was taken out of context. So I said, <laughs> I know that's not the right quote. Oh, how I wanted to call them, but... Uh, they can take care of their own business. Oh, I love that. So how much of your job then is not necessarily researching why something happened, but almost fact-checking? So do you see things that are distributed or promoted around an organization or even externally in media and and kind of go to correct it? You know, I'm very fortunate in that I've got a pretty good brand within the company. So folks on our media teams and, and marketing teams will, and, and legal team will come to me first to make sure that the information that's going to be shared is correct. And, you know, Joe, there's been a lot of new folks in McDonald's, so they're coming to me for the same thing because they don't know the, uh, for the same reason, they don't know Mm -hmm. the answer. But, you know, I've built a credibility that what I'll say is going to be correct. Mm -hmm. Yes, you definitely have. And some of these newbies even ask you to come on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's okay. I love doing, I I love sharing the the story of what I do and, and, you know, and story of archives. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's it's such a fascinating field that you don't, I mean, I maybe I have been in companies that I've had an archives room and an archivist, but I just wasn't aware of it. But certainly when, like when I came into McDonald's, I just thought it was like awe inspiring that you could go into this room and you had this person that just really more deeply understands why these things hold meaning to the company and to where we are today. And I think, you know, like one of the first questions that I was asking you is like, where do you think the future is going to go? Because the past can be such a great kind of indicator of how things could evolve into the future. The future for archives is going to be, you know, again, the preservation of digital records, um, but also in the professional archival associations, um, you know, documenting underrepresented peoples, underrepresented groups, um, having their stories told. Because if, you know, you talked about the the Greek historian earlier on that I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name, <laughs> um, you know, the, the victors tells us stories. So it, we're, we're, as a profession, we're trying to ensure that their voices are being preserved so their story can be told in the future. 
Yeah, definitely. That feels like it's really important. And are there, is there an active work stream to go back in time and uncover those stories that weren't told because those voices didn't have a platform? The best way is, you know, oral history. If the folks are still around or if they'll talk to you, you know, that that's a key, right? If people are willing to speak, because unfortunately, you know, records um, just get destroyed. Uh, I, I'm amazed that my, my grandfather fought in World War II and my grand, I'm sorry, World War I, and my grandmother kept all of his letters and they had moved, you know, they had a, a pretty rough go and she had maintained all of his letters from World War I. So just, you know, it's very hard to keep those materials. Mm, and do you still have those letters? I do. As a oh. matter of fact, I, this time of year, I always reflect on those because he was writing from France on uh, Armistice Day, as my grandmother used to refer to it. And he said, let me give you some of your thoughts. <laughs> so as uh, uh, eventually, one of these days, I hope to scan them all and be able to share them with my, my family because, uh, you know, some of them aren't so earth shattering, but but the story, but there are hidden stories in those in those letters. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they just capture the point in time so well. So a related question that I had for you. So when you said you would scan the letters in, uh, when you're reading the physical, you know, real um, letter versus when you're reading the scanned version, do you, do you find that it holds the same value in your mind? The informational value is the same, but it's not the same context, right? It, because if you have the, I, I remember when I was at the Illinois State Archives, you know, I, I got to actually see letters written by Abraham Lincoln, you know, within two feet of my of my face. I was just awe-inspiring, and and you know, all, they're still scanned, but to have that, those letters within my physical presence was just overwhelming. Yeah, why do you think that is? Well, I think for, at least in that case, just for the man, right? People say if there's one person in history you'd like to meet, you know, it's, for me, it's Abraham Lincoln. So, um, but yeah, it's, and, and the context of my grandfather's letters to my grandmother, you you can see them, you know, where they're cut, uh, the envelopes will say open by censor, the letters will have sections cut out for where they were censored. You can see, you know, feel the fragility of the paper. Uh, he wrote with pencil, you know, just and stains occasionally, um, but yeah, just, just the context helps provide a lot. Do you think there's a sensorial element of it as well? You know, like the, the touch of the paper and smell of the paper and the smudge of the ink on your fingers, potentially all of those those things that really kind of connect you as a human being to that object. Oh, indeed. I mean, I just look at my, you know, currently, right? So my news is all electronic, but I, you know, also grew up holding a newspaper <laughs> and flipping the pages, you know, and reading the newspaper, which is a completely different experience than sitting on online in front of my, uh, you know, laptop reading or my phone. So completely different. Yeah. So do you do you read books or do you listen to audio books? I prefer books, hard copy books. Although I do, I do listen to podcasts. So um, and, and they've been they've been overshadowing my book reading on the train. But mm. um, yes, yeah, it's much easier to escape when you've got all the distractions of a train. Yep, into, exactly. Into a podcast. But I prefer the physical 
physical book to an electronic copy. Mm, definitely. Me too. Me too. The first thing I do when I get a book is I open it up and I smell it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I also buy, if I can, used books. Oh, um, yes. So, uh, you know, just to, again, to see someone, our previous reader underlined the materials and why. And, mm. you know, so that's what I try to do as well. Yeah, definitely. Haven't found any money in those used books, though. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Keep looking. Some coins, maybe, for your coin yes. collection. Restart that. So you mentioned the, the archives room that you went into before. Are there any uh, favorite sort of museums that you've been to around the world? Museums or, or maybe exhibits? You know, I was up in in Ottawa f- several years ago. I got to go to the National, the Canadian War Museum. That was really awe inspiring, just because it put in greater context for my grandfather's you know enlistment with the Canadian Army in World War One. Uh, you know, Chicago has just so many diverse museums. It's but uh, as a child, my father always took us to the museums on weekends, and I'm the eldest of five, so I think it was my his way of letting my mom have a break. So we grew up, you know, going to the Field Museum, the uh, Chicago Historical Society or Chicago History Museum, Museum of Science and Industry. So, yeah, I mean, as a, as a child, it was probably the Field Museum, but, you know, looking at all the, the animals. And I, I think that's probably the same today. Mm. So what's your favorite point of history then, point in time of history? Uh, if you ask my wife, she would say just based on my viewing habits, it's probably in, in reading habits, it's the World War II era. Yeah. Yeah. I am with you on that one. It's a... Uh fascinating time in history to study and a lot to uncover in that. Yeah, it is. And having, you know, uncles that fought in the war and hearing stories from my parents uh, about their siblings and and going on during that time, uh, indeed. Yeah. And that was when your family was in Canada? Oh, no. My my grandfather, actually, he enlisted with the Canadian Army before he lived here in Illinois, uh, before the U.S. entered the war. So apparently the Canadians were recruiting down here in the States. Oh. And so he uh, enlisted f- with a regiment in Winnipeg. And then after the war, he and my grandmother attempted to farm in the, the Canadian prairie in Manitoba that lasted, I think, a year. And they came back down to Chicago. Wow. But no, my, my uh, family stayed here in the Chicago area. Okay. So something that you said then sparked another question for me, and it's it's a little bit connected to World War II having a more personal meaning, I think, to both of us, where our families were involved in the war. And and so you have these stories from, from your family of things that happened. So it has a personal meaning to us. So how do you make people care about something historical, whether it's an artifact or a story of something that happened? from an archiving perspective, that might feel very distant to them, that they they have no relation to it, and maybe it's something that on surface they wouldn't care about as much? Well, you know, I think one of the comments, at least that I receive, is my enthusiasm in sharing these stories about, you know, McDonald's. And, and you know, I, I try to share as much information that I can. Uh, I recall, you know, during um, Black History Month a while back, I did a, an online presentation during COVID for one of our departments, and I had the opportunity of, of not sharing that we did have some prob, um, some operators in the South that black customers had to use the, you know, the rear door instead of the front window. And I said, well, you know, I can, I said this to myself, I can eliminate this and tell the, the but, I, but in order to be credible, I have to tell the, the truth. And, um, you know, I, people received the message and they really appreciated that. So I try to be this, as most rounded as I can. 
a lot of times I am limited by what we do have in the archives. And it's, you know, I can look online for other sources and try to collaborate if there's anything different. It's really important, it feels, to be able to show the maybe the more embarrassing or the more shameful parts of history as well, because they teach us, uh, you know, a lot of lessons and they they make us face into things that maybe are less comfortable, but are an influence into how we got to where we are today. So what happens when sometimes when you find like a story or a little nugget in an archive that you, you know, people are going to, you know, kind of squirm or be uncomfortable with? Uh, you know, if it's there and if it's related to the story, I, I share it with the, the party requesting the material. Then at least to me, it's it's their judgment how it will be used. So, you know, I can, I can only share, you know, I don't have the authority to go any higher, but I can yeah. only share it that way. Yeah. Yeah. What about, like, have you, this is such a random question, have you in your like own historical past so not not you personally but like everything that you've looked into with your family have you found anything that you're like oh that's like I don't understand why they made that decision or I don't understand why that happened have you found anything like that <laughs> you, you know in, in my role as McDonald's archivist one of my uh I guess third cousins reached out to me hmm. and and he and another cousin are really into genealogy of my paternal grandmother's family so yeah, there's a lot of great stories that they share with me, and I'm you know, like, you know, why did they do this? You know, because my my grandmother, um, her family, her father was a doctor. They were, you would consider them upper class in Chicago, but yet she married this, you know, this person who who was a farmer whose wife had died. He had three children, and he was fighting for a foreign nation in a foreign war. You know, what happened? You know, what, what why? And it was extremely hard afterwards. Um, you know. But yeah, so those are questions we, we that I don't have answers to, but wonder why. Yeah, yeah. And you have like family conversations about that to try to understand why. Oh, exactly. You know, I'm fortunate that my dad, uh, he did an oral history with my grandmother when I was in high school. And so we refer mm. back to that. And, uh, you know, and then that generation has all passed this year. So, um, you know, now I need to share those stories you know, with my kids and, and my uh, siblings and, and cousins and their children. Yeah, it's interesting too thinking that we sort of started telling stories orally back back at the start of what, you know, hum, human beings. Uh, and now it feels like we're sort of going back to that is back to audio storytelling, conversations, the ability to be able to pass on something that happened with a little bit of personal inflection. It's nice to see that's made a bit of a resurgence. No, exactly. I think there's a resurgence, just a whole nostalgia resurgence. I don't know why. Maybe it's the times people want to go back to uh, <laughs> times that were a bit less chaotic in their lives and the lives of, you know, everything around them. Perhaps that it just like comfort food right in the winter. <laughs> One last question for you. Um, actually, second to last question for you, I lie. And it, it's sort of connected into back into, you know, what you do day to day. And I think it's going to be a question that is on a lot of people's minds, particularly those people who are in the information profession as I like to call it. So I think that that's technically what archiving is is in. It's, you know, information gathering. But how do you move past capturing the information to helping inform decisions? Well, at least, you know, my current role, I have, I have to be proactive. You know, I'm, I'm the only archivist for McDonald's. So a lot of times it's reactive. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I think I've built a brand. So when teams are working on projects, 
They're calling me into these projects earlier rather than later or rather than not at all. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I, that's part of it is, is just the credibility that I've built in. And, um, you know, that that's important because sometimes I can see where I could have added value and, um, you know, I, I wasn't part of the discussion mm-hmm. because, you know, what I always tell people that unless the archives can add value to the organization, in my mind, we shouldn't even have it. So that's that's the key. Yes. And I think everybody in the insights, analytics, <laughs> research, data teams would be able to relate to everything that you said just then. Sometimes it feels like it's a missed opportunity not to be a part of the conversation, but that relies on, like you said, forming those relationships and creating that credibility as a starting point. Oh, exactly. And, you know, people say, Mike, why do you offer so many tours in the archives, right? Again, that's just building up my brands, introducing people to the resource that I have. Because like any work environment, you know, we, we, we go through some, some people cycle through. So I constantly have to, to you know, advocate that way. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully this has sparked a lot of people probably from outside of the organization too. Do you do outside tours? Uh, we do not. So, and that's, uh, you know, I, Sorry, the archives are, oh, that's okay. Uh, the archives are there to serve McDonald's corporation, right? It's mm-hmm. a corporate resource. It's not a public resource. Mm-hmm. You know, any outside requests, uh, we do have a, a process where they're vetted, but outside researchers aren't, uh, we, it's only me. So I can only concentrate on answering questions for the company. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So if anyone got their hopes up just then, sorry for <laughs> crushing your dreams. Um, but I think it's a super fascinating thing that you do and I think you do it so well. So thank you so much for sharing your process and your way of thinking and and also obviously that more d- deeper connection that you have to history. I think that comes through really clearly. So actual final question for you, Mike, um, but what is your personal go-to when you're, when you're trying to really push yourself to look outside of what's familiar? So I try to look at different sources and, and because, you know, I try to speak to, to the younger generation, Generation Z, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in the archives profession, because they're coming right out of school and they have uh, knowledge of a lot of tools that I'm not familiar with. So in terms of maintain, and, you know, make sure that I'm attending uh, reading archival literature that refers to this, you know, interacting with colleagues, especially in the archives uh, business community, just to stay abreast on, on trends. You know, the uh, the archives business community, it's, it's not the largest in the Society of American Archivists, but the thing that I like about it best is even though in some cases we may be competitors, people freely share and exchange things. So you know, what has been successful and, and, and so with ideas. So that's that's the main thing. Yeah, I love that idea of the collaboration piece, but then also like really speaking to young people who are, you know, can, can teach you something, but also might be hopefully coming in and, and coming into the field as well. No, it's really important. You know, I, I remember my mom, when they lived in the desert Southwest, my dad always wanted to move to a retirement community. And my mom said, why? I want to be with young people. I want to just learn what they have to say. And it it just keeps me young and and fresh and and full of great ideas. So I think a lot of what she shared has rubbed off on me, at least uh, professionally. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Well, Mike, thank you again so much for sharing everything today and for being on the show. Thank you. It's been an honor. And again, uh, see you at work.
archiving may seem like a unique profession, but in the approach that Mike takes to it, you can see the universal application to all of us in how we look into and capture what came from the past, but not necessarily where it will lead. As Herodotus himself said, every end does not appear together with its beginning. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep looking outside.